Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Micah. Isn't it good that um, we're not in control because none of us have the right answers for what the next thing is uh, going to be, what the plan is going to be, but God is in control. And so we rest in that today. Um, we're going to continue our study through Exodus. Uh, I, I'm looking across the room, pretending that this room is full and like I'm looking at crowds of people and there, there's somebody laughing at my jokes in the back. There, there's, there's five people in here and it is so lonely. Only, uh, to be online and to have a room this empty, but uh, we're glad that you're joining us uh, there. When I was in college, uh, I lived in Dallas, and um, as you might suspect, um, a college student in Dallas is broke, and uh, I spent, uh, the college I went to was in downtown Dallas, so I spent a lot of time in downtown Dallas, and between classes, we would travel through, you know, just, just kind of walk around, would see what we could see, and I'm like 18, 19 years old. There's a lot of freedom when you're 18, 19 years old and you're in Dallas. And so, uh, but there's no money. There's freedom, but there's no money. And so um, I just, I would walk around. I'd see what I could see. And one, one day I'm just kind of taking a random turn through downtown Dallas on foot. And I see a big building. It has like a fish on the side. And I am standing outside the Dallas Aquarium. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I had heard so many great things about the Dallas Aquarium. It is supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be one of the best aquariums in America. And here I am just feet away from it with two dimes to rub together, and I have no idea how much it costs to get in. So I decide, well, let's let's see what this is. Maybe I can afford it. Maybe I can't. Who knows? It could be $100 to get in. It could be $5 to get in. Who knows what it costs? Um, for those of you who are watching at home, it costs about $45, which I did not have, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I'm walking around the building. I, I didn't plan on being there, but I walk around the building, and I find uh, the doorway, and I go in, and there's like no line. There's nothing. It's, it's great. I just end up going straight straight in, and I found myself, what I, what I feel like I was in a lobby, um, and there's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of families, um, there's some kids uh, running around, they're looking at the little jellyfish there, and there's like a little, you know, like clownfish, I don't know what all, all kind of fish they had, and I think, oh, well, this is, this is gorgeous, this is beautiful, I, I don't know how much this whole event is going to cost, but at least you get something right when you walk in, because if I can't afford it, I can just, I can just leave, and um, as, as we're going, I see the crowd go this way, and so I go that way too, and I see another tank full of like crabs or some other kind of glow-in-the-dark fish that's swimming around, and the kids are going bonkers. They love this, and I think, well, that's great, but this isn't, you know, world-renowned aquarium stuff yet. I'm, I'm waiting for the good stuff, but of course, you have to pay to get to the good stuff. That makes sense to me, and so I follow the crowd into the next room, and we look at that, and, and you know, someone's saying something, and some kid runs this other way, and then, and then the crowd moves to the next area, so I go to the next area, and it's over. I'm walking out the door. It's an exit, and, and I'm thinking, this is, this is really really not that impressive of an aquarium. I don't know what the big deal is. And it occurred to me that I've entered and exited without seeing a ticket booth, without seeing an employee, without seeing the cost of this event. I've, I've, I've had kind of a free show. And so I walked back around the building after exiting. I walked back around the building and I see that I've not entered in the front door. I have somehow broken into the side entrance of the aquarium, which was a service door that was left open by someone. And I have gotten the last probably 5% of what was supposed to be an amazing aquarium, and I just entered in this back door and, and missed all of the good stuff. And one of the lessons that I learned from that, and it's so true of so many other things, is that where you begin really matters on the experience that you're going to have. You know, had I entered in the front door, and I would have known the price, but I also would have had the amazing experience. But I entered through the sides, you know, and didn't get the whole experience. It's, it'd be kind of like someone walking in at the end of a mar 
Marvel movie, right? Uh, it's the last 10 minutes. They're like, oh, so what's Iron Man up to? Okay. Well, that wasn't that impressive at all. I don't know. He just snapped some fingers and things happened. No, there's so much more going on. You can't, you can't begin at the end. It really matters where you begin. I heard uh, Micah say that he felt like he was in a Tom Hanks movie, and I was, I was thinking about uh, the Forrest Gump movie. That's one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies. It's, it's basically just some guy sitting on a bench talking and telling his story. And he starts at the beginning, but the people who are in the audience, the people who are like on the bench with him, they don't always start at the beginning because they get up and leave and somebody else sits down. But, you know, Forrest Gump, he never stops telling the story. He just keeps going. Could you imagine being the third person there and you're just sitting down next to Forrest Gump and he's beginning a nom? You're like, I feel like we missed the, the shoes and the, the running and the run, Forrest, run. You miss all of that. Uh, it really matters where you begin the story. We're in Exodus chapter 12, and you could argue that this isn't the beginning of the story, but this is one of the most important stories in the Jewish scriptures. This story defines in many ways the beginning of the Jewish people and their identity. Sure, uh, Abraham happened before that, and Joshua, and you know, you know the story of Isaac, and sure, uh, we've read a lot in Exodus up to this point, but this is the moment that the Jewish people identify with as the moment where their people congeal and they come together. This is, this is the beginning of a people group in many ways. Last week, uh, one of our elders, Kirby, uh, he was teaching. He had this great line, and it's kind of been echoing in my head if, if you weren't here for that last week. He said, he said, sometimes you have to go through Pharaoh to get to the blessing. And so the story of the Exodus in chapter 12 is the story of when they break through Pharaoh and they begin going to that blessing. I want to uh, begin. I'll be in uh, Exodus chapter 12. It should be on your screens there. I think I have control of it. There we go. Okay, so Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, before this, in chapter 11, uh, you see that God is telling Moses and Aaron all the things that are about to happen, and it's the last plague that's on its way. And we know, if you've been around church long enough, that the last plague of Israel, the one that kind of changed everything, um, is the, the death of the firstborn. And so what you see in Exodus chapter 11 is God saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. If Pharaoh's heart does not soften, this is what's going to happen. And we read that Pharaoh's heart continued to harden against God and Moses and, and, and God's people. And so we begin chapter 12 with, with this moment. We're beginning the story of the Exodus. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And so just beginning in, in, in these first few verses, we see that God is kind of saying, hey, I, we're, we're going to do away with that old calendar. We're starting something new. This is now January 1st. This is the beginning of your new calendar. This is the first day of something new. We, we see right here, and we know because we have the, the benefit of hindsight, but, but imagine being in Moses' store, uh, shoes, and he hears God say, no, we're, we're starting over. We're, we're starting something new. We're beginning your calendar. This is the first month. In the next few verses, you see that God begins to, to give Moses the, what is going to happen in this last plague. What you see is um, God says, I want you to take a lamb. 
a year old, without any blemish, without any spot, and, and each family is going to get their lamb, and there's going to be a sacrifice of this lamb. You're going to hold this lamb for about four days, and then there's going to be a sacrifice of the lamb. It says you're going to, you're going to uh, roast this lamb, and there's very specific instructions about how this lamb is to be eaten, but, but there's going to be a feast of this lamb. They're going to eat, and everything that is prepared that night, you can have as much of it as you want, but there will not be any leftovers on this feast because this is going to be the Passover. This is going to be an urgent moment. You're going to enjoy this, this meal. Um, and if there are any leftovers, you're to burn that in the fire. You're not supposed to keep any of this. And whenever blood comes from the lamb, God says that I want you to take this blood. I want you to mark it on the doorposts. It says that um, uh, you go and tell the people that this is going to be a sign to them. And this is the Lord's Passover, and, and, and this is going to be the moment that, that we pass over uh, your people, because a great judgment is coming on all of Egypt. God warns, he says that the firstborn of all of Egypt is going to die on this night. Now, it's not just of the children, but it also marks like the firstborn of livestock, the firstborn of, of uh, the Pharaoh's children, firstborn of even the maidservants, the firstborn of everything. And the blood is going to be the sign that you're my people and I'm going to pass over you, which is where the word Passover comes from. He even discusses in verse uh, 11, let me read that, the, the way in which they should be dressed and, and how, how they should, should be ready for action. It says in verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, that sounds a lot different than kind of our Thanksgiving meals, right? Where you kind of unfasten your belt and you get ready, just you're going to park it there for a minute. You, you're going to eat Thanksgiving, like, like there's no tomorrow and you know what, you might just take a nap in that seat for a while and wake up and have second course. That's not this meal. This meal is you, you, you stay dressed, you stay ready, your staff is in your hand and you shall eat in haste because it's the Lord's Passover. God says, even at the beginning, when he's giving them what's about to happen, he kind of puts a flag in the ground, says, this is mine. This is my meal and it's for my purposes. He continues in verse 12. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What God is saying to Moses and what he uh, subsequently has already said to Pharaoh is that a judgment is coming uh, and, and here is the time in which I'm going to execute it. He says, I am the Lord. This is my Passover and I'm going to pronounce a judgment on, uh, on the people who have mistreated my people. I'm going to pronounce judgment on the false gods. It is time. And we read this and, and if you're thinking right now, that is, that is a very severe judgment. Uh, it, it must have been. It, it, it was. It, it certainly was. Like, it, it, is, it is unfathomable, unimaginable to me, the, the pain that the people must have gone through in, in experiencing that judgment. Imagine the fear in Moses when he's having to communicate, here's what's going to happen because, because your neighbors and all these people near us, the people that you've been living with for the last ever how many years, um, there's about to be a great loss in the land. Loved ones are going to go. But, but this blood, it says in verse 13, it says, this blood shall be a sign for you. 
And when I see it, I'm going to pass over you. And this, this is very powerful imagery um, because it's not the first time that blood is used to, to mark the severity of God's judgment. You see it all the way back, even in Adam and Eve, that, that whenever Adam and Eve uh, are, are confronted with their, with their sin in that moment, that an animal is slain, that blood is spilt even then. And it certainly isn't the last time because we know as Christians that it's the blood of Christ. We just sang a song about that just a moment ago. It's the blood of Christ that we find our forgiveness in. And so blood points to the severity and how serious God takes his judgments, but it's, it's God's judgment. Let's read verse uh, 14. It says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So before the moment happens, God is already letting them know this is more than just a big deal that's going to happen once. This is going to be something that's going to be a memorial day for you from now until forever. I want you to tell everyone about it. Every year this event comes around and this is going to define something that I've done for my people. This is going to point others to uh, not only my power, but also my grace and my mercy for my people. This is going to remind you and anybody who asks you what kind of God I am. And I wonder, like, what events in our lives kind of mark major milestone moments? You know, for Moses, this was like, he's getting kind of a heads up. This is a major milestone moment that's going to happen in two weeks. But, but for us, like we, we have moments in our lives that are major milestone moments that you can kind of predict and you see coming. I, I think of um, the birth of my first child and, and my second child for that matter. It's like every time you add a child to a family, it's like nothing will ever be the same and you'll never sleep again. Uh, I think of, uh, getting married, you know, you know, months, hopefully months and years, you know, before that, Hey, marriage is coming and on your wedding day, it will never change. And you celebrate these births and these weddings every year to remember this is what has changed. This is what has, um, come to be. This is what we celebrate. There are other moments that you don't plan and you don't see coming, right, that mark major changes in your personality, major changes in, in who you are and, and how your family dynamic is. Think, think, of, think back maybe to your childhood when, when your first loved one, maybe a grandparent passed away, and it was your first moment of experiencing a death, and that moment showed loss and grief in your life that you never experienced till then. And you remember it every year. It comes back around and you remember that moment, that thing, that, that, that thing that happened that changed the course of everything. I think of uh, going back to college in Dallas. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Dallas has seasons. Now, we live in Southeast Texas. We have, we have like first summer and second summer. Um, but in Dallas, they actually have snow like once a year and like fall and like leaves fall from the, the sky. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's really mysterious how all that happens. But, but in, in Dallas, I, I moved to beginning college in fall. And shortly after moving, that first cold front comes through Dallas in the the scent of the air changed and there was like a breeze blowing in from the north. It was a little cooler, of course. And, and to this day, I'm, I'm now in my 30s, to this day, whenever the season changes for the first time, I flash back to that freedom, that, that breath of fresh air, if you will, that I felt when I first started college. It was a moment I didn't expect, but I always flash back to the same place in this parking lot in my apartment complex of when that cold air first hits my lungs. Think, think of other moments that have marked 
so many uh, moments of your life. I, you know, uh, I, think of, I think of moments in counseling or um, when I was working in foster care and working with children who, who are trying to overcome am- amazing amounts of tragedy in their life and grief in their life. And if you talk to them and, and, you, and you talk to a person who's experiencing grief and never really kind of healed from that, they tend to rewind back to a, a hurt. They rewind back to a moment that defined who they are and defined the decisions that they make right now, defined uh, the arguments that they get in right now, they talk about, well, you know, he left me or, uh, you know, she, she never treated me right. And you're rewinding back to things that happened five years ago, 10 years ago. And what we're going to learn in this story is that God is saying to Moses, this Exodus is about to mark something new and where you begin matters. We're beginning right here at this moment. We're beginning right here at the moment where I show you mercy and I show you the severity of my judgment. Let's keep going. Uh, In verse 24, uh, he says this, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Like this Passover, he's saying, you're about to go to a land and he's pointing 40 years into the future at this point. When you get there, I want you to continue doing this annually every year. And he says, and your kids are going to come to you and ask you like, why do you keep doing that? And he says, this is what you say to him. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. It says, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. A couple of things that I love about this. One is that God is speaking about future events in the past tense. He says, in 40 years, you're going to continue doing this. And when your children ask you why you do this, it's because I spared your houses. But he's giving them, them these instructions before the houses were spared. God, God's promises are, are pretty good. Checks to cash, right? Um, and he says, I want you to tell your children because they will ask. Now, um, at church, we, we have um, a few events that happen periodically. And I love when we have um, Lord's Supper. I love when we have baptisms. If I had to be honest with you, um, baptisms are probably my favorite thing as a, as a pastor to do, uh, to be a part of, to see, to witness. And when we do a baptism, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of mysterious to kids. They have no idea what's going on. It, it could be a, a, a swimming pool party. Uh, it could be a water balloon fight. Who knows? Like all they know is that water is happening at this event and kids love water. And every baptism I've ever been to, and, and maybe you, you should do this from now on. Next time you go to a baptism, must pay really close attention to the kids because the kids, they're, they're inquisitive, they're intrigued. They have never been more interested in what's about to happen right there. And they'll always kind of tug on mom's shirt or they'll say, hey, what's, what's going on right here? And, and the parents will get to tell the children, well, here, here's what baptism is. Just like Jesus died and was buried in the ground, so, so are we also, we're being buried in the water. The baptism is a picture of that burial. Um, but, but son, we don't hold kids underwater, right? So, so just like you're going to come out of this water, you're going to breathe air again. Like, yeah, thanks, Dad, for not dunking me. Uh, you're going you're to breathe air again. Jesus also, he came out of the ground, and he, he was resurrected. He has new life. And so this baptism is a symbol for everybody around here that that person in the water is getting dunked just like death, but they're coming back out just like resurrection, just like life. It's a picture of what Jesus has already done in their heart. And kids love that imagery. They love that picture. But if I had to be honest with you, I'm, maybe I'm more like a child than I like to admit. I like that picture too. I like the, the concrete 
imagery of, of seeing that happen. And what God is saying right here, he says, we're beginning a new thing, this Passover meal, and your kids are going to ask you what it's about. And I want you to tell them everything that happened that instituted this meal. I want you to tell them the, the goodness of your God who rescued from that land. I want you to tell them when you're in the land 40 years from now that I'm going to bring you to because I'm going to fulfill every promise I've ever made. When you get there and they ask you questions like, why do we keep eating this lamb every year? Because God was good to us and, and, and he protected us and he passed over. Over us. And it says, after, after Moses said this, it says, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This is before the Passover event has happened. This is before the judgment. This is before they've even left Israel. As far as this moment is concerned, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 27, the people are still enslaved to the Egyptians. And yet when they hear what God is about to do and how carefully planned out God's plans are, they bow their heads and they worship. That is, that is beautiful. Because their lives are in chaos. Their lives are in mystery at that moment. But they're hearing God's plans unfold right now. I can't, I can't help but think right now as we are, like, we just prayed a, a few moments ago that God would give our elders wisdom for the next plan for when we open back up or how long we stay digital and all those things. Like, we are in a world of uncertainty. They were in a world of uncertainty. Whenever they heard God's plans for the future and they realized that God was in control, even in their uncertainty, even in the midst of their circumstances, they were able to bow their heads and worship. Maybe, maybe there's a lesson to be learned there for, you know, COVID-19, 2020, Southeast Texas, that even in our chaos, even in our mystery, we can still trust God's plans. Verse 28 says, then the people of Israel went and did so. Remember, all that has happened to this point is instruction, instruction, instruction. I want you to, to kill the lamb, uh, get the lamb on the 10th day, kill the lamb on the 14th day. I want you to eat the meat uh, and don't keep any of it. I want you to keep your belt fast and keep your sandals on. I want you to put blood on the doorpost. And it says, uh, the people of Israel did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They, they did this, but it, it took time. Now, when we read this, if you're reading this in your Bible, you have your Bible in front of you. It's just a few sentences, but the instructions were on day 10, do this. On day 14, do this. That the plan took some time to unfold. That's a lot of, are you sure? Did he really say this? Are we doing this right? I don't know. Um, something I, I learned uh, from, from uh, 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 some time in Israel, they were, they were talking about the Passover and the lamb, is that there's this moment on day 10 where you go get the lamb, but on day 14 is when you slaughter the lamb. That's four days that that lamb is living with you at your house. That's four days of you watering this lamb. That's four days of you feeding this lamb. That's, that's four days of your kids like, oh, it's a lamb, and like headlock it and roll around with it on the ground. That's four days of your kids naming the lamb. You're like, don't name, you know, Dolly or whatever the lamb's name is. Don't, don't do that. Uh, that's four days of your family getting to know this lamb, all knowing all the while, on day 14, the fourth day, that lamb is going to be killed. That lamb is going to be slaughtered. And everybody in the family is going to have a feast because that lamb's life was there. And that blood of that lamb is going to be put on the doorpost. And this is going to be a symbol to everyone that God's going to pass over, that God's blessing is there. That has to be a powerful moment that they just get to know the lamb. In the next few verses, we see that God's judgment begins to unfold. And it, he, he does exactly as he says. 
The midnight comes, the blood is on the doorpost, and all the feasting is over, which had to have been a weird sight. If you're living in Egypt, you're looking down in Goshen, and all these people are like, it's 10 o'clock at night, and they're painting blood on their doorposts, and they're eating a meal. That's weird. And then it says at midnight, uh, the Lord uh, strikes his judgment on the firstborn, and the firstborn of all Egypt dies. The firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of servants, the firstborn of cattle in the fields, the firstborn of all Egypt dies in one night. And it says, that there's this great cry heard in Egypt. That has to be heartbreaking. One o'clock in the morning, this murmur begins to grow outside. You don't have CNN, you don't have the internet, you can't go on Facebook to see like, was that another explosion? Who knows? But this murmur grows and it says that there's this great cry in Egypt. There's this great pain, there's great sorrow. A tragedy has happened. Verse 31, we pick up where Pharaoh finally, his heart and heart is broken because of tragedy. And it says, and then he, Pharaoh, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, get out of here. Both you and the people of Israel, go serve the Lord as you have said. Go do all the things that you've said. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you said, and be gone. Like, he's like, go on and get, right? And it's like just straight country, like just get out of here. And then he says, and, and bless me also. Because in, in Pharaoh's tragedy, in Pharaoh's broken heart, in Pharaoh's, he sees not only his own pain in his family, but the pain of his people. He asks this and he realizes, your God is true. Your God has followed through with every word that he said up to this point. Will you bless me also? I, th I think that's a, a powerful moment in thinking about tragedy, thinking about consequences of actions, thinking about, like, a lot of us, we pay prices for decisions that we've made, right? And we face a broken heart. Pharaoh's facing a broken heart. And he asks at the end, please, will you, will you bless me? Now, we know later on in this story, like, Pharaoh is going to gather up all the soldiers of Israel, or Egypt, rather, and chase Israel, and there's going to be the Red Sea crossing, and, like, all of Egypt, like, his heart doesn't stay soft. Uh, he, he, he gets angry, but that's later. That's, that's many, many days later. In this moment, in the heartbreak of tragedy, he's asking for blessing. And so the next few verses, we see the actual exodus happen. The reason that the book gets the name Exodus is because there's an exit out of Egypt. Israel is leaving. Now, when I read it, I don't know about how when you read it or how it was taught to you when you were a child, that's a really quick moment. Like, okay, hey, we're out of here. Let's go to the Red Sea. They go. But that's not really how it, it took a while. It took, uh, it took them a while to get up and go. It says that uh, there were 600,000 men, not counting the women and children. So there's an estimate of between 1.5 and 2 million people is all of Israel. They just get up and go. I, I, I meant to look up a city that has about 2 million people in it. I didn't. I'm going to assume like Dallas is close. Uh, Houston, certainly. I, I have nobody in here to confirm. Anybody in here know? Like, is Houston about 2 million? We'll assume. Imagine, imagine the entire city of Houston getting up like, hey, uh, we're going to Lake Charles real quick. And like, they're just, they just take off on foot and they start walking. It says that they left for from uh, Ramses to a city called uh, Sukkoth or Sukkoth. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, which is, uh, if you look at it on a map, it's, it's interesting because you have the Red Sea. It makes like little bunny ears, right? Uh, so you have like, uh, like, you know, right here. And then the Red Sea is this piece and this piece. And uh, Mount Sinai is right here. This is, this is 
high-tech imagery, I know, for everybody. So they leave from here in Ramses, and they go all the way down here a little bit past the land bridge right there to Succoth. And so I thought that was really strange when I saw that on a map, because they kind of, like, it's kind of like when you're driving down the road, and you're not paying attention where you're going, and you miss your exit. You just went too far, and you have to turn around and go back. They kind of did that. They went too far south and end up going to Mount Sinai. And so I started Googling it and kind of researching, read some stuff, and it turns out in Succoth there was a... Um, a mine uh, for turquoise that the Egyptians would get all their gems and everything from. And they were using Israeli uh, Hebrew slaves in that mine. And so what what the, the presumption is, is that they went from Ramses to Sukkoth to get more people to go get more of the uh, Hebrew slaves to take them out of there. Imagine being that group of people. You didn't even hear about everything that happened a few nights ago. You're just kind of sitting there. You're, you're, you've been mining this whole time. And all of a sudden, 600,000 men, women, children, everybody comes down and like, hey, uh, Pharaoh said, let's get out of here. Go on, get. He said it. Okay. All right. I guess we're leaving. Imagine like the relief. You've been praying like, God, will you please hear my prayer? Will you please rescue me? And here comes a group of people like, yeah, he rescued you. Um, that trip from Ramses to Succoth took nine days of traveling day and night. This is, this is a full week and a half after the firstborn of all of Egypt died. And here they come. Uh, let's get out of here. Let's go. We, we find out also that the Red Sea crossing, which we want to fast forward in our heads to that moment, that took 24 days from the night of Passover. 24 days. It's nearly a month later after the night of Passover before they crossed the Red Sea. That is a lot of running. That is a lot of hiding. It says in, in, in here that, that they were eating... Um, cakes of bread that they, they made because they didn't have leavened bread. It was unleavened bread. So it's like every time they would stop and eat, all they had was water and just like, let me eat this cracker real quick and we're going we're gonna to keep on keeping on. After this in verse 40, it says the time uh, that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That night of Passover marked to the day 430 years since they entered Egypt. Well, remember back at the end of Genesis when uh, uh, Joseph uh, finds favor in the eyes of Pharaoh and he brings all of his family uh, from Israel into Egypt and they begin living in the land of Goshen back in the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus. That was 430 years to the day. And then there's Passover, then there's rescue. That is a long time. Just to put it in perspective, USA has been a country, this country, the one that we're living in, for 245 years this week because, you know, 4th of July just happened. 245 years we've been a country. But for 430 years, Israel was in Egypt crying out to God, asking for uh, rescue from, from their trouble his plan, it unfolds, but, but their identity, where they began, was 430 years old. Their story of living in Egypt, where you, where you begin matters. And I, th I think it's important that God says, hey, we're starting something new right here. This is now the first month, the first day. 
Verse 42 says, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Moses makes it a point right here to mark that it was, it was the Lord who was watching out for Israel in that moment. It was the Lord who brought them out of Israel. It was the Lord who gave them the plan to get out. It was the Lord who made all of it possible. And so what we're left with is what is it that the Exodus teaches us? Like the actual moment of Exodus. Here, here are some takeaways I think that would be important for us to keep in mind, especially during our season of uncertainty. The Exodus teaches us that the judgment is the Lord's. The, the, the judgment is the Lord's. The Lord pronounced judgment on Egypt, but it was up to the Lord to, to follow through with it. He didn't say, hey, you guys go judge Egypt on my behalf. The Lord says, no, you, you leave that for me. Um, Moses, he made the mistake early on in his life. You may remember this from like your VBS years uh, early on in his life that he wanted to pronounce judgment. And so while he's living in Pharaoh's house, he sees an Egyptian sh soldier doing something that he shouldn't. And so he goes and murders that Egyptian soldier and immediately all the like, like turmoil falls down on him. And so Moses runs and hides um, for 40 years. He goes off into the wilderness. Everybody thought he was exiled. Nobody, like he's just gone. He, he, the judgment wasn't his. The judgment was the Lord's. We find in our country right now that there's an amazing amount of turmoil and uncertainty, not just because of COVID, but because of racial injustices, because of politics, because of the news, everything. Like we've got hurricane season coming. We've got our community arguing about like different names of mascots. There's amazing amounts of uncertainty around us. And if you pay attention, there's always someone raising their hand like, hey, I'll, I'll pronounce a judgment on that for you. I know exactly what you should do. You should just go and, you know, and then they say things that I'm not going to say on our live stream, but they say things that shouldn't be said on Facebook behind like their little keyboards because they want to issue their own judgment. But, but we as believers, we should learn at least from this story, the judgment isn't ours to issue. The judgment is the Lord's. The judgment is the Lord's. The provision is the Lord's. As, as you see how the people were preparing to leave uh, Egypt, um, God gave them the things that they needed to get it done. All, all the equipment that they had, they didn't have to go and like save up a bunch of money. It says that, that the Lord showed them favor. And so uh, this is back in chapter 11, that uh, the Hebrew people would go and barter and like they would just make profit after profit because the Lord showed them favor. The Lord gave them provision. When, when they left Egypt, it says that they just grabbed what they could. It says that their kneading bowls, the bowls that they used to make their cakes, they just like rolled them up in their cloak because they, I guess they didn't have pockets. And they just rolled it up in their cloak and whatever they could carry is what they got out of town with and took their livestock with them. But the provision to get through the exodus, to make it all the way through that, the Lord provided that. The Lord provided everything that they need right now. So many of our families, if you're watching right now and, and your job is on hiatus and, you know, like money doesn't come in when you don't work and you think, how am I going to get through this? Where am I going to get the things that I need to get by? The provision is the Lord's. Think about what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Even in that prayer, we're trusting that God is providing the things that we need. The provision is the Lord's. The Exodus teaches us that the plan is the Lord's. 
Now, this is, this is really interesting to me because if, if you're a Hebrew slave living in Egypt, your plan might be like, I just really wish things would go back to the way it was with Joseph. Remember when we were with Joseph and like 430 years ago, that, that things were really great, that uh, you know we had favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, people kind of treated us nicely. My plan, dear Lord, please listen to my prayer, would be let's just rewind back to the beginning of this where things were nicer. That's not God's plan, because the plan was the Lord's. God's plan was that he would redeem his people and buy them back from the Egyptians, but bring them not, not backwards to the place that they were, that they remember that they felt safe and secure, but to a new place. The promised land is what we find at the end of Exodus. Spoiler alert for about three weeks from now. Pat's going to be teaching that, and it's going to be the promised land. I just spoiled it for him. Um, but, but the plan is the Lord's. We look at our circumstance right now and we think, if only we could get back to this place in our country, if only we could rewind back 50 years ago where things were simpler. Let's be honest, things weren't simpler. I've read a few history books that say, you know, there were problems back then too. Uh, Maybe the plan isn't that we rewind backwards, but that we move forwards to a new and better place as a community, as 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 a as a country. I think that would be a really great thing. But we trust that the 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 plan is the Lord's. His plans are better than ours anyway. And the last is this, is that the blessing is the Lord's, that he is giving the people what they need. Now, the story of the Exodus as they wander through the wilderness is full of miracles, where each time God is giving them things that they need. There's a, there's a story where they're like, we're really thirsty. We're about to die of dehydration. Strike that rock, water appears. God provides these blessings along the way as they go. We live in a community in a culture that we pay really close attention to, to the problems and the curses and the, 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 the negative things. Like it, our world is built to, to feed us the negative things constantly. Um, maybe, maybe we as Christians, we as Carpenter's Way uh, would do better if we focused on the blessings of God and started pointing, you know what? I saw so-and-so help so-and-so. That was, that was really great. And start sharing those stories because the blessing is the Lord's. Every compartment of our lives seems to be in chaos. I was thinking about this as, as we came up. Every, every, every area uh, from our personal lives to our professional lives, I see families that seem to be in chaos. Um, if you turn on the news and you're like, who am I going to vote for in a few months? That's in chaos. I don't know if you heard Kanye West is running for president. Who knew that was about to happen? Um, that everything seems to be in chaos. What's going to happen with COVID-19? Who knows? It seems to be in chaos. Uh, what, who, who should I believe? Which news source should I believe? Well, don't trust them. Don't trust them. It's all, it's all chaos. It seems like the world is burning down. And it would be really uh, wise of us to ask the question, well, what, what are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do with that. What I said at the beginning matters right here is because where you begin matters. If you begin with right where your world turns upside down, if you begin right where your, your loved one died, if you begin right where some tragedy was, the way you tell your story will have a very negative lean. It'll be powerlessness. It will be, it will be hopelessness. But we're taught instead to begin, just like the Egyptians were, or the Israelites were taught to begin at their Passover, we have a Passover lamb in Christ. First Peter says this, chapter 1, verse 13, says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... 
Prepare your minds to do something. Prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. Like, don't, don't be swayed by the turmoils of the world and the chaos around you, but be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Think, think of the, the Israelites in Egypt. Don't be, don't be conformed to, to, you know, thinking like the old way was better, the passions of your former ignorance. Like, there's got to be something better. It says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We as Christians are called to be holy in all, all our conduct. Why? Well, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God says, I'm a holy God. I want my people to be holy people. Interesting, First uh, Peter is quoting Leviticus, which would have been written about you know, 35 days, 40 days after what we just read. It's at Mount Sinai that Leviticus was written. And God says to his people, you should be holy because I am holy. So therefore our conduct should be holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought back, you were, you were rescued from uh, enslavement, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, no, we were bought with something much more precious, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Even in Peter's mind, he's going back and he's remembering the lamb without blemish or spot that was sacrificed on Passover. He says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. And because of his blood, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are passed over. He says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He's saying this plan, God knew what he was doing since before the foundations of the earth. This was the plan that God is going to work out that Jesus becomes the Passover lamb who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I'm short on time. I just want to remind you the judgment is the Lord's. The provision is the Lord's. The plan forward is the Lord's and the blessings that will come out of that plan are the Lord's. What God asks of us as believers, what God is asking of Carpenter's Way, is that we conduct ourselves in a manner that is holy, because he is holy. That we, um, well, let's just read verse 13 again. That, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, that we have prepared our minds to act, to do something, to, to correct wrongs, perhaps. But we're doing this sober-minded. We set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope isn't in who we're going to vote for next. And our hope isn't in somebody finding a cure for COVID. And our hope isn't in some tax refund check. And our hope isn't in fill in the blank. All of those things are futile. Our hope should be instead on Christ. Let me pray. I hope, I hope that this week... Um, despite any chaos that you see around you, that we see God's blessings more. And that maybe we share what we see God doing in and around us. And that we would have hope not in futile things, not in perishable things, but we'd have hope in a Christ who's going to redeem this. Let me pray. Father, uh, this morning, I pray, Father, for your word that um, 
Uh, through you, you, you teach us not just the history of your people and how you rescued the Egyptians, but we're remind, or the Israelites from Egypt. But we're reminded also that that you're a God who never changes, and the same God who rescued them from their troubles um, is our rescuer and is our redeemer. I pray, Father, that we would find hope in in the truth that that we've been ransomed, that we've been bought back by uh, the blood of Christ, and that because of His blood, because of His sacrifice, we can have peace. Knowing, knowing that, that there's forgiveness, knowing that, 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 that judgment has already been paid. Um, and Father, that, that in that hope, in that, in that resting of your plan, Father, we see our community begin to heal from its troubles. We see our country begin to heal from its troubles. We see people literally heal um, from their illnesses. Lord, we pray, Father, that the name of Jesus would, would grow and that people would find hope in him because it seems to be the only thing that is sustainable. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.